Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. Today's guest is Debbie Roshan, and you may remember her from such trauma films as Chad, Tromeo and Juliet, but also the we we are talking about a working actress who's been in over 250 credits. That's a lot. In fact, yeah. the actual scientific term is shit ton. And not only has she been in over 250 credits, film, TV, whatever, she has done extensive writing. One of my favorite articles of all time was in Fangoria. She called it Diary of the Dead. And she's going to talk about that on the show as well, where she where she chronicled, why can I say chronicled? Where she also, chron- I think you said Diary of the Dead, which I don't think she did. Diary of the Dead. Oh, okay. Bah, bah. Diary of the Deb. Okay, because I was like, Debbie she Roche. didn't do a whole. She didn't do a whole series on Johnny Depp. Where she was talking, no, but she could have. She could. She, she has that talent. She has she that talent. It. Absolutely. So, but she talks about what it's really like working as an actress on some of these movies that are not only low budget but ultra low budget. Uh, Crown uh, oh, Screen Queen Clint. of the Decade by Draculina Magazine. Yep. She received the Best Sockhead Award in 2002 for American Nightmare. She's, she's pretty well-renowned. Now, you won't see me much in this because I was easily distracted. And he wasn't there. But without further ado, let's start our interview with Debbie Rochon. All right. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. I'm so excited because I have not only watched her in the movies, but I have read her for years. We have the famous, one of the greatest scream queens of all time, which I don't, I'm actually going to ask you how you feel about that moniker in a few minutes. Debbie Rochon, how are you tonight? Why do people Great. ask that bullshit, by the way? Of course you're okay. Otherwise, you wouldn't be. <laughs> what are you going to say? I, it sucks. I can't believe I'm talking to these assholes in Kentucky. <laughs> sorry, keep going. Things are, things are bad here. They're bad. I got to go. I mean, I'm sorry, but I really got to go. You really got to go. Well, that was Debbie Rochamwe. Thank you so much for your time. Well, let's do this. Hey, Debbie, have you made a good sandwich lately? Well, yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Grilled cheese, grilled cheese and prosciutto. Ooh, fancy. Oh. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Good. Well, it's just really, really good. Yeah. So I would okay. say yes. All right. So I want to talk about your writing in a few minutes. But yeah. I, as I was getting ready for this, and I was trying to listen to some other podcasts, some other interviews you've done, but... I have to do it, and I know you get probably asked this a lot, but I want to talk a little bit about your childhood and some of your influences. I don't necessarily need to talk about foster homes, but I would like to talk about your love of, how did you find your love of cinema or at least your love of art? Right. Well, my love of cinema, I did, I was influenced by seeing a few movies when I was very young um and I did see like science fiction and stuff like that when I was really young and Twilight Zone when I was really young yeah I can't say that they changed my life at that point I think when when art truly changed my life I think it was when I was in London and I was at the Tate Museum and I saw like you know picasso dolly i think dolly was the first painter to like blow my mind Mm -hmm. because i hadn't seen anything yet so you have to understand like put yourself in the mindset of never having 
seen anything more than maybe uh, cartoons and newspapers, right? Or cartoons on TV, like uh, Warner Brothers stuff or something. That's good, but, and, and I think I just like saw that and it made such a big impression on me that I became like really obsessed with museums. By the time I moved to New York, I just, I, I was constantly at them and there was nothing that I didn't like, that I didn't find something. Yeah. Even in the Liechtenstein stuff, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. That's okay. see Deutsch? Nein. Keep going. Yeah, it's pronounced it. Frank. There you go. Frank. Frank <laughs> stuff. You know, you know, you know when Frank was just doing painting the perfect squares? Yeah. I mean, just I would go in, I would go, wow. Not only does someone think that was art, they did it as art. People call it art. And now I'm gonna read about all this like, and there is actually something to appreciate behind something if you did the research, which kind of blew my mind. I was like, yeah. oh, there's all this history behind the art. Anyway, long answer to, yeah. No. Uh, so then art painting really became like the biggest art form. I'm glad, I'm glad you say that because I'm the same way like I've been to the Louvre, I've been, I've, I love going to museums, but I never go and look at the paintings mm -hmm. to see the artwork. I go and imagine what it was like at, during the time when that was being painted. Uh, you know, it's just, it, yeah. it's, it's not about the, the visual aspects of it. It's just about the history. That's so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that. <laughs> right. It's, it's so true. And to see, it didn't matter if the religion, religious, paintings, excuse me, were, you know, had all the kings and queens faces on the religious, um, you know, deities. It didn't matter because that was part of the history of what was going on at the time. And it didn't matter that, you know, you couldn't always relate to something because it, it, it just brought you to that, that place, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, it just, it's of the I mean, it was the pop culture of the time, as crazy as that sounds. Because now we think it's so like so highbrow, but then, yeah, maybe it was like certainly a master was painting it, but it was also the pop culture, pop culture, excuse me, of that moment. I never thought of it that way. That's really all right. This, see, I bet you didn't know this. The, this interview would go this way, by the way. <laughs> right. Sorry. No. Now, we never know. No, it's good though. I love it. Good. Love it. Yeah. Well, this is what we try to do is try to come from a different perspective on a lot of different things. Um, I never really thought of it as pop culture at the time. I've always, um, Peter Weller, do you know, uh, he was Robocop's a famous actor. Yes. Went on mm -hmm. after his career kind of cool to study art history. And he always says that but he, he thinks filmmakers really lose out that they don't study art history as much because it's all visual storytelling. That's and that's the basis of visual storytelling through the centuries. So, yeah, I didn't know we were going to go this way with this either. But circle back, you were mm -hmm. raised in Canada, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, Canada, yeah. talk about having the, for lack of a better word, balls to end up in New uh -huh. York. Talk about that kind yes. of transition. Well, my transitions were really by the seat of my pants, so to speak, because I went from the foster care system 
as you may have mentioned, I don't know if it was before the show at this point or during the show, but yeah. I went from there to Vancouver, the city. Uh -huh. I went to London for about a year, the city, uh -huh. then back to Vancouver. Then I went to New York. So it's a couple of things. It's not as though I wasn't used to cities. And uh -huh. while people tried to frighten me out of going to New York, I was way too stubborn to listen to anybody. That was another thing, a will of steel, which got me through pretty much everything, you know, and, and nothing else. Like just, just that's all I had was will, didn't have money, didn't have nothing, but will. It's amazing what that, that will do for you. And um, I, I just felt like, you know, I, if I wasn't like a kid of the streets and I hadn't like seen all kinds of stuff at that point, maybe I would have been easily intimidated uh -huh. and not have gone, you know, but I also had to go because I was, had no interest in staying. I had a thing since I was like a little child. I had this weird connection to New York that wasn't, wasn't from movies I'd seen. It wasn't from music. It was just something otherworldly. I, I can't really put words into it. Just a knowing that you're going to go somewhere. It's mm -hmm. weird. And um, just, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it was anything was easy, but it's not hard when that's what you have to do, if that makes sense. No, it makes me think of Bob Dylan. I mean, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Yeah, yeah. And I've always said that too, like good or bad. It could be a bad thing too. Like, you know, you never want to threaten or corner someone who has nothing to lose. But then on the good side too, you know, you can just go and, and just follow the wind if you've got nothing to lose. So it could be good or bad, but it's a wonderful saying. I've used it many times. Yeah. Right. That makes complete I didn't know that's where I got it from. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. <laughs> I, I'm almost positive it's Dylan, but I may be wrong. There's some asshole who's going to listen to this later and say, that fat guy from Kentucky got that wrong. But I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Dylan. Well, well, you know what? If he didn't make it up, he said it yeah so, yeah that's true he did say it so what i'm hearing though is you know a lot of people have an obsession with either acting or movies or just all the television like there's something that just i don't hear that out of you about your story well no that no that is part of it that's part of it i guess it's kind of twofold you can have like a passion for something but you could not have the nerve to just move across the world you know mm -hmm. to somewhere that you've never been and just decide that that's what you're going to do and there's no you know no turning back but yes um i was involved with a little bit of film in vancouver like background stuff for about three months yeah and got around a set i've said this many times but this is really like sort of the the clincher is that i would always as an extra, I was always trying so hard, like whatever the assistant director would tell us to do, because Lou Adler, who did Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah. he wasn't he wasn't directing the extras. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, Tommy, I don't know his last name, unfortunately. And he would say, you know, do A or B, and I would just do it like 150%. And all the other young girls would just not do it because they were just there for fun, didn't yeah. really want to do anything so when he came up to me one day and said that was really good 
and I, I don't even think it was it made it in the movie but like he noticed mm -hmm. and i was i never been given any positive feedback up to that point in my whole life so about anything yeah about anything like nothing not a thing so i just like that made such an impression on me and then what does that tell us as humans that we have to make sure that we do this for other people because the most innocuous thing that you say can change somebody's life and it did mine so i could i can honestly say that you know that's it's really important to do that well our day jobs are in higher education we work for universities and our friend who couldn't be here tonight dr james thomas is a professor and he would have loved hearing the story and he'll hear your story later and then he would have just jumped on about well i've influenced blah 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 <laughs> through my classes over the years so just wanted yes. to give a shout out to james while he's not here we miss him um so you with that really tough childhood you're just tough as nails so being able to go from one low budget film set to another you're you were just raised for it yeah isn't that the truth isn't that the truth yeah. but you know like everything everything's kind of double-sided uh sword in so many ways because right. while you're willing to do it and you're willing to be the person to like give it your all not be the asshole not be demanding and therefore, you know, the trajectory of your career will be also influenced by the way. But so long as you're happy in what yeah. you're making art wise, that's what I've always said. Like, that's the main thing. But when you're super easygoing, you're glad to be somewhere and you just all you want to do is throw your project. Uh -huh. What happens is a lot of a lot of people, they take this for granted. Yeah. And they tend to, if people are more difficult, if people demand more money, if they are fill in the blank, they mm -hmm. will kind of command more, you know, I guess it's respect. Mm -hmm. it, well, it certainly is um, high maintenance. Yeah. And so quite often, you know, you will be sort of left to your own devices. Oh, Debbie's good. She's good. She's, you know, just going to do her own thing. I don't have to worry about her. Um, or in some cases, you know, people haven't always been so nice. They're sort of like, well, you know, take, they take advantage of it and they mm -hmm. mistake that old saying, we're going into another old saying here. We've got a lot tonight. That's okay. They, they mistake kindness for weakness. Yes. Kindness for weakness. This is the case. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, I will continue to do my best because I've always known that what you do on film is what lives forever, not the experience of making the movie. Yep. So you continue to do your best. You walk away. You just don't work with them again. Yeah. Because, you know, you've you've left on on tape or film um, the best you could do, but you just don't work with them again. And I'm not being um, just talking about negative. I I could say a lot of wonderful positive things too, but I like to point out both, only because in case there's people listening, no matter what art form they're in, including for you guys doing the podcast and all that stuff, mm -hmm. like to only hear the positive stories, that that is encouraging and it is good. And it is about working hard. 
but I'm here to say that, you know, there's some really, there's tough times. And I think that what you need to really do also is you don't have to work with anybody who doesn't treat you well, but say you, you come to the realization in the middle of a movie, probably the best bet is unless you're in danger and then you should leave in some way you're in danger. But just remember that all of this drama and silliness that may be going on the set, possibly, when everything's said and done, all the audience will ever see is the movie yep. and your performance. So let everybody else demand the attention or want the attention or all the stuff that like I don't care about and maybe some other actors don't care about because at the end of the day, when the thing is rolling in front of people's, you know, on people's TV sets or hopefully at a film festival somewhere, um, they're going to see. They're just going to see what people laid down and all that other stuff is invisible. So I don't know. I said that for whoever needed to hear that, <laughs> I guess. Well, Shannon, isn't this fascinating real quick because of, of our last four guests? Yeah. There's three. Uh, Todd Farmer, I don't know if you know him, he wrote Drive Angry and My Bloody Valentine. He's from Kentucky. We yeah. were like three years getting him on the show, which is funny. You think from Kentucky, that would have been a, a no, no, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, yes. He has a great story about living. He, he had written uh, a Nicolas Cage movie and still a few months later was living in his car because things weren't didn't work out. Yeah. I, and we've had several on lately who have talked about just how tough the business can be. So it's funny that you brought all that up without even without really me asking you, because it kind of goes along with several of our guests that we've had the last couple of months. Yeah. And if you guys ever talk to Tony Moran, he's another one yeah, that will have Tony. you on the edge of your feet. Yeah. So you know his story. I don't know all his story. We've only car. met at conventions. He's never been on the show. Oh my God, have him on the show and just get him to talk about the rough years. And you will just be, you won't even believe it. You won't think that he ever, before he got into the convention circuit, yeah. because I was around, I, I had done a movie with him called Beg. Uh -huh. And he had done any, um, that was in Boston. And he had not done any conventions at that point. So uh -huh. his first couple of conventions, I just happened to be there just, by coincidence and it blew his mind that he could actually make some money that he well deserved by the way it's not like it's all about money he yep. was enjoying eating people but here's a guy who went from literally living in his car like on for a long time had a really hard life and you know he's the first one i'll tell you like you know uh, um sister was on happy days and so when he did the um, Halloween movie, uh -huh. he was like, you know, just, I don't, you know, didn't really care. He's just a guy in a mask, took it for the work, you know, like most people, they didn't know it was going to be a cult classic. And, you know, and now he gets to finally, after all these years of struggling, you know, with all kinds of stuff that he struggled with, he could tell you the stories, but it's nice to see him now finally being able to, you know, live a much better life and all of that. Cause he deserves it. He's a good guy. He's oh, a good gosh. guy. That's been to hell and back yeah. really. Mm. So yeah, he's another one. Okay. I'm sorry, so, Chad, I cut you off no, earlier. No, it was just going back to this, 
you know, if you have a bad experience on a film set. I mean, you, yeah. you your list of, of films is amazing. I mean, you're approaching James Hong numbers. I hope some people get that reference. <laughs> I don't, so tell no. me what it So James Hong is this, uh, is, uh, he played the villain in Big Trouble in Little China. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So he is a consummate acting working actor the character actor for he has over he has over 400 film credits to his to his title he works non-stop um also working really hard to you know fix the asian stereotype that's seen seen in films yeah yeah he, he created a whole uh acting troupe in san francisco for for asian for an asian for asian actors it's it's amazing his, his backstory is amazing but just working as non-stop yeah. as you have all this time when you get into a project are are you able to kind of get the hint of this might be a bad experience or do you really not know until you're in it quite often you don't know until you're in it like sometimes you can because why would you go otherwise yeah right and the reason that is like um because if there's not satisfaction artistically in these kind of movies you're not becoming a millionaire. You're not becoming so wealthy. You could buy a couple of, you know, houses at various different places. I mean, you're not making that kind of money. And quite often, you're not making any money that you would even want to repeat out loud. You are doing it from the love of doing it. Yeah, right. And if you don't like the script, or you get like uh, that strong of a feeling that it's going to be a bad experience, honestly why on earth would you go and i know some people would still want to go because you know maybe they want to build up their resume they want to build up you know their credits and experience and get better and that's certainly what i did when i started you know i probably made like no kidding i made no less than at least 30 um nyu student films thesis films like acting in them at least you know and the Tisch School for the Arts in New York and yeah. um, all, you know, all those, all the film schools that needed actors. I was, I was constantly making movies with them from their silent movies when they, the first film that they ever make when they're in school, make a silent movie. They make when they cut it to a music video. I think the one I was in, they, it was a talking heads called And She Was and like, you know, way back eighties. Yeah. And, uh, all that stuff, but it's good for them. It's good for me. It's good for everybody. Everybody's getting experience and training and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you do, you do learn pre pretty quick though, how to, how to uh, assess people like, and it's as simple as like the email you receive. I, I don't mind if people have no way of contacting me except for DM in a social media but I need to immediately take it to email because if somebody can't email me, um, then it's, you know what I mean? After I've asked them to, I, Why would I think someone that would not email you. Is it just a kind of a creeper? Because I imagine you deal with a lot of that. Uh, you deal with a lot of. Well, creepers. I think that there's people who they look at email and where they have to actually describe things and put work into things and we've all and I mean all of us I'm including right. myself I'm including everybody we've all been trained to have no attention span right like 
None at all. So that's why I need an email for, for somebody to really explain to me, like, what, what is the project? Where is it at? Does it have funding? Is it just a one-line idea? Mm-hmm. Is it an act? You know what I mean? Is it actually formulated? You know, done, all the work is done and now you're approaching me because you're actually going to do it? Or is it like a one-line idea that you want to somehow get me or someone else attached to before it's, and you don't even know where you're going to get the money from. It's just, see that sort of like, it's just oh. part of the process, you know, kind of, and and to like sort of, talk about bring something up and talk about the email at the very same time i've been speaking with um and i hope i'm pronouncing his name correctly i i own um he's he he's the director of um the dracula film festival in transylvania oh wow that is playing this weekend and they're i'm very deeply massively honored well, actually on the 18th and it will be virtually of course right but um to be given the countess dracula award uh it's always been given to men i'm the first woman to receive it that's so, amazing uh, congratulations yeah. let's take a second and just kind of yeah, yay. yeah that, thank you so much like that really it's really a big deal, like who they've given it to before in the past, like just, you know, some of the great Italian filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, it's it really, it's incredible. Like, really, it's incredible and um, extremely proud. And the reason why it triggered that, that I, I wanted to tell you anyway, and you're actually the first person that I was allowed to tell, um, just got an email before oh my God, I just we were doing the show right now that I Yay. couldn't. <laughs> And so, so he, because like, I don't know if it's an age thing or uh, because he's so professional, like a true professional, underline, highlights, you know, put the asterisks beside, um, he, his emails were really, I mean, lengthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they were in a different, they were in English, but like he went through the trouble of of doing all of the work of writing four or five paragraphs describing exactly what the film festival is exactly you know what just everything that i would want to know yeah not like a one line hey i'm doing this uh are you interested and then so yeah i mean that's just yet yet again to underline the email thing like just how we've all been kind of brainwashed but if somebody is like a true pro you'll get an, a true email like this because they'll be able to easily talk about their product. Like when, when we speak by mm-hmm. email, right? It was yeah. very extremely professional to the point. Everything's worked out. It's easy peasy, easy peasy. Thank you. <laughs> except, and except it always me. starts with Miss Roshan. We asked you what you'd like to be called. We asked what you would like to talk about, not to talk about. It's like we've done this so many times. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, exactly. I, I I totally get it. I I uh, I completely agree. And um, there's a certain amount, and I don't think it's because of our age, but I think there's a just a little bit of respect to say, you know, Mister, Miss, whatever have you, we've never met. Just give somebody a little bit of credit, a little bit of respect on their end, because they're usually doing you a favor. Sorry. Right, and it's tangent. just yeah. nicer. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. What was he saying? No, I said I got off on a tangent. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to agree. I was just going to say, you know, I it's it's an it's a really nice thing and I find that um if people knew how to communicate in longer than like 140 characters um it would I don't know it would be, be it would be nice again I don't know our communication yeah communication sucks we we don't talk uh we tend to now private or not private message we text everything we don't really even have yeah. phone calls anymore much less letters it's it's all gone yeah. the art of conversation is dying slowly yes <laughs> but think about for zoom where yes. we make full sentences and hope that we still can that's true <laughs> and if it wasn't for zoom and the great thing because the other great thing about social media and the internet is that uh, wherever you're at i don't know where i'm not asking we're in lexington <laughs> kentucky and we're having a conversation real time which we would have never been able to schedule around my schedule, Chad's schedule, your schedule, and gotten it done. It would have taken months. Whereas this it's, took three weeks. Yes. Yep. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. So let's get a little bit back on to you because my focus is you. I mm -hmm. So you studied a little bit. Uh, I was looking at some of the schools. You were mm -hmm. studied under someone who taught Strasburg. Or can you go a little bit into yeah. your acting? Your acting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my favorite was um, the Michael Chekhov technique. That's okay. that's basically what I base most of my technique on. Because really? at the end of the day, it's what you you relate to the most. I mean, I did a study at the actor studio with Penny Allen. Yeah. She was actually one of the bank tellers in, for people who might have seen the movie, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Mm -hmm. So she was the blonde. Anyway, she's a great teacher and she was uh, teaching at Lee Strasberg. So I studied with her and I've studied Uta Hagen. I've studied with uh, William Hickey, rest in peace. Uta Hagen, rest in peace. Oh, do you have a good Bill Hickey story? Do you have yeah, a good yeah. William Hickey story? Because we <laughs> love William I mean, I love him from before. I mean, a lot of our audience is going to know him as either Mouse Hunt or Puppet Masters, or I guess actually, uh, I guess as the as the Christmas. Senile, as Christmas Vacation, right? He's in yeah, Christmas. and he's in the original producers. That's too, what I was going to say. So I love we love Mel Brooks. So yeah. I know him from the producers of the bar scene. So and yeah. he's always and he's always looked eighty five. Yes, always, always. always. The funniest story, because you got to remember, is a long time ago, and when you're in class, you're very nervous, and you're mm -hmm. scared, right? So, like, you're up there, and you're, like, giving it all you got and everything. Um, well, it wasn't during, like, one of the, the scenes. Uh, I did learn an awful lot from him, by the way. Like, really. Like, so, so much stuff that I, I could get into after the story, if, you, if there's any interest. But Please. We listen to mm -hmm. what about. The funny... The funny thing that he used to like go on and on about in class, like constantly. And some of the actors who, you know, they didn't necessarily care who he was so much. They kind of got bored, but I was like really fascinated by this stuff. I was like, that's really interesting. He would say he had a dog and he lived alone with the dog and he would get very angry if people would ask him, does the dog know how to sit? Does the dog know how to walk? Or, or answer any commands. 
And his whole thing was, let the dog be a dog. Don't, you know, train it to be like, you know, a monkey in a circus. And I just, I found this fascinating because, you know, a lot of people would have, would like to have like a well-behaved dog. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. They want to learn. Dogs always want to learn. But he was so adamant about that, you know, walking his dog in New York City and the dog going all over and intentionally not being trained to do anything. <laughs> not stay, not sit, not walk, not nothing. Like nothing. And he was like, and why should the dog? The dog... It's an animal and it should be free to do what it wants to do. <laughs> just, what, who is this character? But he was really passionate about that. He was really passionate about that. So that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> I'm telling you. So you're going to be episode 155, 156 after three or four years of doing this. You're the first person to give us a William Hickey story. I know. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, awesome. Awesome. I'm well, hoping that you don't get asked about it from a lot of other interviewers. I'm hoping we're as we're going and, to. Nobody's, more, ever, nobody's ever asked me about about William Hickey. And, and like more, more importantly, I'm thinking of that dog being a Saint Bernard, which makes that scene a whole lot funnier. <laughs> I know. And like you can like he's he was such an artist, like William Hickey, truly though, mm -hmm. for real. And so like he was so pure. That I'm sure he kind of looked at his dog as being like a pure dog, if that makes any sense. Yes. I, I'm, I, I was like watching when I was kind of equating it that way, and just to be influenced by all these completely different people, with all these very strong opinions, and then having to like just take bits and pieces from different uh, schools of thought, like something that I really took from him that he was very, felt very strongly about is as an actor, like, what is your secret? But a secret that the audience will never know ever, you just carry it around with you. Yeah. You never show it, tell it, it never comes up, it never gets exposed, but it adds yet another layer to the performance. And that's like a big, big one that he was into. And of course, so then I learned from him Okay. Because the, the school of HB Studios was more of a, um, it was more of a, of a Stanislavski style mm -hmm. where, you know, you would write a book about your background and it's important to know your background. But I can tell you for me personally, I wasn't relating to information about a character. I was more, um, the Michael Chekhov technique, which is the, the physicality would speak to me more. It's not out, outside to in, in the negative sense where it's all fake. It's yeah. deeper than that. It's the outside to in, it just as deep, but going from the outside to the in. Okay. To sort of simplify it. Yeah. Who were some of your contemporaries at the time? So you're in New York in the 80s. So I imagine you're going to classes with lots of people that have went on to do some great things. So I'm kind of curious, who were some of your contemporaries? Well, it's funny. I was in the class and, you know, it's terrible that I can't remember her name. She did not go on to do things, but she was at that time doing things. She was an actress. She was in a, a really bad 80s movie called 
fast forward, which, you know, some people know that are into hardcore, like dance, talent, fame type movie things. It was one of those. I'd have to Google it. You lost me on that one. I'm sorry. I'm not nerdy yep. on that one. No, that's total nerd. It's like absolute a fame type of movie, uh -huh. right? Fast forward. That's what it's called. And so she was, she actually came to class because she was auditioning for, um, to be Tom Cruise's girlfriend in what was the, uh, pool remake movie he did. Color of money. Color of money. Yeah. Color, thank you very much. The color of money. And she came close to getting the part, but she didn't get it. And so I think that inspired her to want to take classes because she got very close. So, um, and I, I don't think uh, she, I don't think she went on to do anything. But um, let's see, I, th there was Adrian Shelley I went to school with. I went to, um, I was in a movie with, it was actually Spike Lee's editor, Barry Brown, his first movie. Uh, it was called Lonely in America, it was a comedy. And that was done about 88 and she had a part in it. I had a part in it and I'd known her from HB Studios. And she went on, she did like a lot of stuff. It was definitely New York indie centric, mm -hmm. but she did a movie where she called Waitress where she directed Nathan Fillion and she kind of became like a indie New York director, but of uh, non-horror movies. Like right. she was in all of Hal Hartley's first movies, you know, like um, uh, the names of the, his first movies. Oh, I know. I'm going to have to Google them up. I've actually seen Waitress. It's a really good movie. Is that the yeah. one with, um, did she not pass away before Waitress? Yes. Right? Yes, she, was, she was murdered, yes. right? Yeah, she was murdered. Yeah. She was uh, her and her husband and her uh, daughter was very young when it happened. Uh, live, lived in another place in Greenwich Village. And uh -huh. then she had another place for her writing studio. And there was um, a worker that she had told to keep it down because she was writing and I guess they were undocumented I believe mm -hmm. and so as opposed to and then I believe the story went and I and I correct me if I'm wrong somebody but I believe that I don't she, know I'm only a fan of the movie yeah yeah she was she was telling the person that she was going to get the police and I think that freaked them out seeing they're undocumented mm -hmm. and they killed her and they made it look like, tried to make it look like a suicide. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. It was um, a murder set up to look like a suicide. Very sad story. Mm -hmm. But That's yeah. Sad. Yeah. She had done like a number of, uh, of uh, nicely leveled movie, nicely leveled movies as an actress. And then became a director and did the movie that you saw. Yeah. Yeah. Now, horror has been your bread and butter. Mm -hmm. but I wonder now especially that we've talked about 40 minutes it doesn't seem like that was you weren't gung-ho is that just how it happened and you well, wanted to work and that's where the opportunities were it's kind of both I just didn't get into that because every sort of aspect 
has its own back backstory and it's not enough time for all the backstory. Oh, you can go, you know what? You can tell us to quit anytime or keep going as long as you want. We're loving it. We're having a great time. It's a it's a mini series. Okay. So um yeah the seriously the so the horror has always been there. Always yeah. always like you know one of the, the last things I did in Vancouver before um I moved was I rented that's what you did back then, folks, in 1983. I rented a VCR player from a video <laughs> store. Does anybody remember that? You guys? I do. I do. Yep. The player? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was so much money. So I rented that. I think it was like a two-day minimum or something. Uh -huh. And I watched, um, what did I choose? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, that's a that's good. that's a good one to start with. It's a good one. And I had always wanted to see it because the rumor was back in 83 in a, you know, small town that it was a documentary. Oh, really? Yeah. I've heard that. Pretty before. much. I mean, that was like how people were talking yeah. about it. Like this really happened. Like, and so in your mind, especially when you're very young, you're like, oh, wow. You know, like really happened. Holy cow. And it, it's got that feel, right? That uh -huh. raw feel to it. So it's fantastic. And, and um, you're watching, you know, just, scaring yourself at the thought but so i've always been a fan of horror movies and so I've, I've been drawn to them anyway and then i think what you put out there too and and what you put the work into it's not just one or the other sorry yeah. um but i've always i've always liked horror for two reasons one the women especially back then and continuing to this day, but especially back then, the women had roles that were far more interesting than any other genre. Yeah. Drunk, comedy, boring. Like you want the good, you know, really intense roles, that would be horror movies, wouldn't it? And yeah. I wanted to do stuff that was intense that I could relate to because I had a lot of intense feelings from growing up the way I did. Yeah. So I wanted to express them. And then I also liked action. And in horror movies, there's a lot of action. So it was something that just came together, really, of two loves that I didn't even have a name for it at that point. But that's what it ended up being. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to think of how to ask this question. So how did you survive and circumnavigate through the 80s and 90s what I imagine would have been specifically in lower budget films, a ton of, I can't think of a better way to put this, but casting couches. And right. now as a, as a lot of that's come out, thank God. Right. And yes. a lot of yeah. it has been brought to light and that's great. And hopefully the industry is changing, but I don't know that it's changing as quickly as it should. Right. I think right. there's probably still a lot of guilty people out there that just haven't been no one's dropped a dime on. I see you're, you're doing this and we're not going to do that tonight. That's not what we're about, but no, I, no. it's, I'm so excited to be able to ask you about, about that and your own but experiences. Like, yeah. And yeah. how, because for you, I'd imagine you were tough. I'm hoping, I don't know. I'm just assuming for someone whom I've read and now I've just talked to for an hour that you, you probably had an easier time of circumnavigating that. Right. I certainly saw it coming. And then you saw more. that a lot of these, lack of a better term, casting couches were just that and not necessarily opportunities. So easy to tell that. 
Not that you would be in the middle of a situation before that dawning on you, mind you, because right. some people are very good at this game. But yeah, but there. Okay, so there's two things I I want to touch on because Please. one never never gets touched on, and should, in all fairness, and this is not a put down because everybody has their moment, mm -hmm. and if women women are having their moment as as well as many other groups, but. I believe that it's their moment. Don't don't taint it with anything. Yeah. But my first point, get it out of the way, that while there are mega shitload tons of casting couch situations that were just pretty much like 90%, it was more normal that was the case than not. Yes. However, women acclimated quite often by also having choosing their boyfriends or lovers of the moment or you know ending up you know a lot of people end up and in some in some cases it's very honest and true but you know falling in love with their director or whatever or just sleeping with their director because perhaps this will help matters um and i think like you know, it's not like I'm such a good person because, you know, I'm not. I've got plenty of faults myself, but I think it was just from quite simply um, rape when I was on the streets that I could never square. Not that I would anyway, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I couldn't square, you know, thinking of having sex in exchange for something that you ideally when you start out in your ideal that you know idyllic you know idealistic i should say yeah, yeah, yeah. that you you think that you get the part because somebody thinks that you're good enough to do the part and that turns out to be so not true just so not true it's ridiculous so i just want to point out that you know while yeah absolutely absolutely a lot of women left the business a lot of women were, you know, definitely used and abused. Mm -hmm. There is um, the other side of the story where there's been plenty of women, you know, do the same thing to other women, like yeah. get the part over you because they promised to blankety blank. So, I mean, there's a, there, there's a full story to tell. There's not a piece of the story or even 75% of the story to tell. If you're going to tell a story, Let's tell the whole story. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That, that's that. And then the other part is um, not only many times, like, sure, you know, many times and, you know, wouldn't work out because I, I didn't, you know, do that. And who knows if I was a type, maybe I'd be in a very different place than I am now, you know? And I'm just saying, like, who knows? Who, who really knows? Because right. a lot of people do, right? And, um, but the thing is like, I've been literally, I've, I've been through, it's my, it's never been easy. It's never, even in my, my world, be it what it may be, it's things have never been easy. I mean, I've had, I had a guy for seven years, blackball me from the indie horror world where I had to like get out there and I had to, you know, get work anyway, even though he would promise them many, many pages in a magazine, which was the only way to get the word out about movies at that time. 
mm-hmm. at that time, right? Because we really weren't talking the internet yet in the early 90s. And, and we're talking about very few magazines, so I'm starting to narrow yeah. it down. Yeah, you, you got the picture. A, a, a so-called women empowerment magazine, which in fact was run by someone who did the opposite. So I, the irony is right there. And the only reason I feel so comfortable talking about it, not only is it the truth, but the uh, publisher also, before he unfortunately committed suicide, got you know myself and a couple other people to write out our entire stories, give it to his wife. So this person couldn't try to usurp the magazine once he was gone. The whole story is very sad, but it's true. And so he said, well, I know who to go to. So that in in a court of law, if he tries to usurp this from my wife, that he's not going to be able to because of his behavior. So anyway, that's why I feel like I can, I can talk about this. I mean, I, I would feel that way anyway, to be perfectly honest, but I feel like it's like, so almost in his memory, you know, in uh, Fred Clark's memory, I would talk about this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, I've had, I've had people, bad people come at me my whole life. So I always say that you always end up where you're supposed to be. And, but I really believe that, you know, like if you aren't meant to, to do a certain project or, or go down a certain path. And, you know, there will be, if you just keep working really hard, the right doors that are supposed to, that, that are meant for you will open and you'll end up to be a big zigzag, but you'll end up somewhere. And that's really where you're supposed to be. I wouldn't have done all the radio I've done. I wouldn't have written if, if I just thought I was just, just simply strictly an actress with nothing else, like no other interests, but I had other opportunities come up and I was able to see if I liked it or not and, and had the opportunity to do it quite a bit. So, yeah. Thank you so much for that answer, Debbie. And, and like I said, I, I, I I just wanted to make sure before we started like anything you do and don't, because I'd wanted to have someone specifically who would went through that time or in in elite, who am I talking about in the last 70 years and and have it from a woman, a woman's perspective. So thank you so much for being able to share that with us. Oh, thank you for asking me. Uh, I I meant a lot to me, Chad. Now Chad's going to make it a little more lighthearted. I apologize. Yeah. So like we, uh, and I know you've probably gotten this question a hundred times, Debbie, but I got to ask, cause I haven't heard it. <laughs> is that right? What is it? Uh, your work with Lloyd Kaufman. Yes. I, I, I am personally a huge fan of trauma films. Uh, you know, for example, and Joe's heard me brag about this, not really a brag, but it's, uh, it's one of my geek uh, brags that I have. I actually have an animation cell from the short, from the 10 minute high, uh, highlight reel that they put together for a cartoon Sergeant Kabuki man. Oh. I have one of the cells upstairs in my, my, my little dork hole that I have. And so I've just been a big fan of Tromaville. So I just, I have to ask about how you got started working in Troma. Any, any great stories you have about Lloyd himself? Because again, huge fan of Lloyd. You know, We've not got him on the show. I've met him. Yeah, he's, he's we one, haven't he's, got him on the show yet. He's one of those gets that I would just die to have and just have oh. a conversation with. Yeah. You know, I can't. I probably can't do Lloyd justice. To be perfectly honest with you, I can't. It's impossible because there's just too many stories there. I I met him in '92, and I've known him and worked with him ever since. I mean, that's the beginning. That's the the that's tagline of this uh this yeah. movie. That could be a movie. Um, 
and I had written an article about him and he got me to do some uh, modeling for new poster art or new box cover art when they would pick up titles that didn't have any or had like really bad stuff. We would make equally bad, but it was more traumatized. So <laughs> we would have wonderful, wonderful, funny, 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 uh, you know, photo shoots to, to make box art and stuff like that. That's how I started. And then, you know, I would do like represent trauma by all of us going down to stuff like uh, New York City Hall. And you would see people like Dustin Hoffman and Mr. T and all this bizarre group of people. And then there would be the trauma team. And, you know, because it was all kind of mixed in and it was still the Toxic Avenger wasn't really that old yet because no. it was still like 92, 93. Uh, so they were invited everywhere, of course. And then Comedy Central came along and we started doing uh, bits for them and they had uh, movie marathons all across the, the world, really, like in the UK, they had a TV show and like in Germany, like everywhere where cable was starting to like really get some traction, uh -huh. but they were all starting out. So they needed to fill their, their channels, right? So they would get, they would do a marathon with trauma because tr that, that'll be like not expensive and, and we can fill up airtime. And, and then as soon as any, any one of them got anywhere, they would like dump trauma, wouldn't show trauma anymore. But when they started, they sure did. <laughs> and that's a, to this day, Lloyd still mad about that. Like everybody comes to him when they're looking for like, you know, uh, product, right? Uh -huh. Stuff on, on, on a show. But uh, we would do like the bumpers in between like the funny comedy sketches in between, like, and the next movie will be, and do these ridiculous sketches. So did all that. And then finally in 95 was the first movie, Tromeo and Juliet. And uh, he gave me the first script when we were doing the um, trauma infomercial, the, uh, the trauma system. How can I forget that, the, the name? The trauma system. And it was based on the, the uh, 90s infomercials that were constantly playing. And, uh, but it was something that you could really get. And so <laughs> it makes it funny too. Um, but yeah, so then, and then James Gunn was working at the office uh, doing like, you know, basically um, working for Lloyd, under Lloyd and uh, yeah, started working on the, reworking the script I should say. And, and that was actually the first movie that Michael Hers did not co-direct he produced put his money in and that's like a really big thing because none of lloyd's movies are less than a quarter of a million dollars they're like between a quarter of a million and a half million dollars uh -huh. that's why it right. makes me laugh when people say they're two cent movies well maybe that's like how your brain interprets it and i really mean that maybe that's how you're you're feeling it yeah. but they're half a million dollar movies or a quarter of a million dollar movies yeah. So they're not two cent movies, but you know, it, what he's spending money on is different than, you know, he's not spending it on, on cast salaries. He's not spending it on the usual things that cost a lot of money, he's spending it on, you know, uh, special effects and, uh, you know, insurance and locations and, you know, all of these other things Yeah, that didn't probably give you too much of a story about Lloyd. But um, boy, there's so many. I mean, 
oh my god we've just done so many i remember in the early 2000s he was like um saying he was like debbie you're getting a lot of movie work uh can, can you get me in some of these movies tell them i'll work for free and i'll fly myself there even like he just wanted to like make all of a sudden he got it in his head like he wanted to like make a lot of movies and so like at, at one point i was like every movie that i was like getting in, invited to to be on i'd be like and i could throw in for free lloyd kaufman if you want him and they'd be like what yes sure like depending on what type of movie it was right, right. but um, so i actually it actually really really worked and then i think at some point either his wife or his partner michael hurst said you know people got to pay your from now on, you've done like, you know, a hundred of these. So from now on, they have to pay for your plane fare. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Give you a couple of dollars because this is not, you know, the, the books are not balancing here. You're, you're spending too much money. But he was like, he, if he had the money, he would, he would probably still do it to this day. Like, you know, fly himself everywhere to help the, the people. And he always said like, not only does it help keep his name out there and he loves doing it, that's big but also he likes to give back to the filmmakers that worked for free for him. So it, it's many fold and good heart, very, very good heart. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, you got to pay his flight now, folks. Give him a couple bucks. And <laughs> a couple bucks you know. Oh, I'm halfway considering playing his flight once COVID's kind of only passed. <laughs> One of the, so I, I, <laughs> I interviewed someone for a virtual convention about a couple of months ago, and I I actually don't. She's going to do the show, but we haven't got the date set down. But she said it's 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 once you've done a couple of or at least one or two movies and it works out, then you kind of become part of his family. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I do. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she said you're just kind of dragged into it, and it's hard not to like him. Right. It's really hard. And I have actually been through periods with him where seeing I've known him for so many years that we have actually like gone through some stuff like, you know, and by that, I just mean, I've become frustrated with uh, um, whatever. I I can't even really think of it right now. Like maybe it was the conventions or maybe it Uh was like, uh, it wasn't the movies, but it was like uh, something. And I'd be like, oh, fuck this no fuck no way no fucking way and i'd be like ah, ah, ah lord you're making me crazy like i think there was a point like we didn't speak for one year and <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, like it's like it's like the rock and roll bands i mean how can you really know somebody for this many decades and not have these ups and downs unless somebody is lying to you guys so you know he i know it's been uh i don't know what you know i'm sure i've pissed him off I have no doubt about that. I pissed him off. I couldn't tell you when or how, but being a human being, I have no doubt. But the love is it's so deep because of all of this very real, honest stuff that we've been through together. Hey, if it makes you feel better, Chad's not going to, Chad and I don't even talk before or after the interviews. It's pretty much a hey fucker and then bye fucker and beforehand. <laughs> we've been together, we've been friends for 20 years. Yeah. See, yeah, I we know. Just, we just did two and a half hours talking about 1994. I'm pretty sure every five minutes I interrupted what we were talking about and just said, you bitch. <laughs> yeah, he called me bitch in that episode <laughs> probably 75 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're being on our best behavior because you're here. <laughs> uh, where's my link? Oh, okay. Well, I 
well, I guess I would just really appreciate that then. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I do with anyway. So wait, oh god, <laughs> sorry. Now, I, now I want to talk to you if you if you still have time. I want to talk to you about your writing and your writing career and how much I appreciated Diary of the Dead, which was in Fangoria for many years, and yeah. how it gave me an insight before. I started doing my convention work and interviewing people and all this other stuff before I got to do any of that. It gave me such an insight into the actual days and what they looked like on a movie set. Yeah. So that's a question yeah. of please talk about it. And also a thank you for all that. Yeah. Well, that honestly, that means a lot to me. And that sounds probably really fake, but I really mean that because no, I, I, I think we're being completely honest tonight. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, I, I that means a lot because I really, really put so much into them. They were so ridiculously honest mm -hmm. that I can I can honestly tell you that I was the type of writer like for that column and and still as I write my book, uh, so I should say that the uh, current tense, not past tense, but I can tell you that when you write with that kind of honesty, yeah, I could tell you, you don't necessarily get work from it because- <laughs> I bet. It's true, it's just true because yeah. even my very good friends, if there was like, something and then you know i've rethought a lot about it and i wouldn't do anything different at all because if there was something that was a truly horrible horrible experience i would kind of do a like a little bit of a fantasy mm -hmm. story and that's how i would kind of tell it because it's now a parody yeah. and take from it what you will that you know that's that's the that's the takeaway and so yeah i mean i and that's why i appreciate it because i was doing it for the writing this was not a column which which ever said hey hire me and i'll write about your movie it was a column that said this is like the underbelly of of some of the stuff that you guys are saying watching yeah. and and the art form was the writing the writing wasn't a tool to get acting jobs. So that's why it was the way it was, you know? Right. So, and that's why I you saying that because that was the means to an end is just the writing itself. So, well, I love yeah. the stories and it, what it, what it did was deglamorize what we have this bullshit conceptual. And I don't even care if you're working on a hundred, $200 million movie that right. we have this sort of sort of, you know, glamorization of what filmmaking is and what a lot of it is, is hurry up and wait. Uh, mm -hmm. It's being cold, uh, maybe, and we'll get to something in a minute, maybe you're being topless uh, yeah. and it's cold and you're having to run in and put on clothes and there's nothing sexy about what you're doing right now whatsoever. There's nothing right. sexy about this sex scene that you're shooting right now. You're just trying to get an angle. Yeah, yeah, right. so true. <laughs> and not be bitten by a recluse you know brown recluse spider in, in the meantime i remember yeah. that one yeah that's awful so i always appreciate it now what i want to ask about is how did you did you just start so you wrote a little bit for joe bob for joe bob's can you go a little I, bit in the history of that 
Yes. So I, okay, the real, real first beginning uh-huh. is me journaling as I was um, like a kid on the street. Not every day, not even enough to um, say that I could, you know, put something together and nothing that I kept, but I just, yeah. I, I think I just wrote something down one day. And then I think maybe two months later, I looked at it and I was like, oh, wow, like that doesn't completely suck ass. You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of compliment. It was like, well, it's not oh, like it's- we, Everything we it's, do sucks ass. So no, not so much. <laughs> we can't really follow. So keep going. <laughs> so I so I was like, oh, okay. So that's that's really where it started. Like the interest, the, the seedling. Uh, and then um, for Femme Fatales, I was writing and I was writing for Joe Bob Briggs. His, uh, you know, it started out, we are the weird, yeah. but everybody got all upset, kind of like the cancel culture of today, but then, yeah. so he changed it to um, the Joe Bob Report, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I wrote that column until he ended it, like he ended up uh, closing it down after a uh, number of years because of uh, the cost, yeah. you know, quite simply. And um, then I just, I wrote for a lot of magazines, sort of one-offs, and I've always written for Videoscope, mm -hmm. um, you know, along the way, and then a whole bunch of other magazines that have come and gone. And then I had the, the um, column in Fangoria. And then to this day, I still write for Videoscope and, um, you know, various sort of one-offs, one-offs yeah. more, yeah. Well, I, you know, I've always enjoyed it and I just wanted to say that, and it's great that you, you were journaling. So you're writing a novel now, you're writing your autobiography. Yes. Yes, I am. And it's just from 74 to 84. So it's just, you know, delving into the stuff that happened on the street, getting through it, what the experience was like, the raw, brutal reality of it all. And then it, yeah, that, that's pretty that's pretty much the bulk of it. Just like um, getting through um, everything that you had to get through, or in this this case, excuse me, that I had to get through on the streets from 74 to 84. Then, but that includes like a lot of stuff, like, you know, first film work, um, when I was seeing Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols, yeah. like there's like, it's not just the street. I mean, it is, of course, that's where I'm, I'm you know, coming out of yeah. or, or living, living in, but it's also like other like weird um, things that would sort of shape my, my mind and get me to sort of create another reality to aspire to. And so basically, yeah, takes us just to, moving to New York City from the depths of, of hell. Like it, by the end, it, I'm not quite in the depths of hell, but, that, but certainly, you know, at many points I, I was. I mean, like just as a random story, you really have to read it to get the, the full effect. But I mean, there was like an entire week that myself and a very young gay boy were um, abducted by these two guys and held and raped for like a week straight and so like this is just like is that fun no i mean this is not fun stuff to to write about but it's important stuff to get like the the picture right like 
what happened, you know, what, and it's not like focusing on all this downer stuff that people are going to hear this and say, I don't want to read about that. That's horrible. I want the fun stuff, the movie stuff, but it's all like, it's all in the style of the writing too. Like, I mean, you can, you can tell a story and it, it doesn't have to be like, it, it could have like nuances that will just, I don't know, hopefully. I'm, yeah that's you're just going to be so into the story that well yeah because in, in in these cases the the hollywood aspect of it is oh work with floyd kaufman oh you worked with you you went to work on vampires Kiss right. with nicholas cage it's not about it's the journey to that yeah. i mean that's what's the most fascinating part of it it's not yeah. i mean that story you just told me just it's, hit me yeah. with a sledgehammer yeah i mean you know and that's that's the story that the story is not the movies it's the journey to that Thank you that you gave me the chills. And you know what, every, you know how, when you, many people say this, they know they're doing the right thing when they get the reaffirmation, so to speak, of chills or something like that. Yeah. Like it doesn't even, it's not even for everybody. I'm not saying like, oh, this is amazing. Like everybody who's walking the face of the earth, even during this pandemic is gonna love it. No, it's for the people that it's meant to be for. Mm -hmm. And I think those people are gonna really, it's gonna get to the right people. And hopefully like one of my goals is like without changing anything, but just in being the brutal, honest, fucking honest that, that I am with this, which is just, I keep saying brutal. It's the only word that I can think of. Yeah. Which is sad when you're, you calling yourself a writer but anyway it's brutal and um I it think is brutal if there if there's like any anybody that can get any any kind of inspiration that would be my ideal like if it's either comforting inspiring or something for anybody's going through something that's like really that that would be the gift to you know to end all gifts is that you've actually had like an impact, a positive impact on somebody's life. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm with Chad though. Yeah, yeah, it's like a ton of bricks. He's gonna like, have another, you have like 10 more questions, but then you 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 tell us that story and it just leads us down a different direction of of how does one adapt after that? How does one learn to survive and live and then cope? with it if not for the the physical harm the psychological harm for the decades on yeah yeah you're well, very brave that's why, very brave well thank you i i do believe that this is where we turn the corner back into horror again isn't it because why is it that i like and enjoy roles that that are very crisis orientated right Right. because I have a lot to bring to it. It's not like, you know, well, for me anyway, I don't know how it's coming across to be watching, but it's comedy and you have to go over the top and it's intentional. It's intentional. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes that's like, you got to have something to pull from to be able to do that. 
I we feel have like blue you guys blue. just hit it off while I was gone when the damn thing <laughs> crapped out, started twirling it. I was texting Chad going, please, 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 please. Sorry. <laughs> and Debbie, this is not a myth. We have a we have a family of blue people somewhere in the hills of Kentucky somewhere. Oh, no, so, that's that's southeastern Kentucky. That's right outside. Yeah. Of, uh, if you're ever curious, look up the blue people of Troublesome Creek. I will because I love this stuff. I love this stuff. The Joe, so people, I won't forget. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I am so sorry for the technical difficulty. I'm, I'm, I'm really actually embarrassed. Uh, I apologize. Oh, oh my God! You're kidding me, right? Because we are like in a pandemic. Like I was, I was saying, like where everybody's on the internet. Get off the damn internet, everybody! I, I know people right yeah yeah all right so we'll since this is going absolutely what did i miss chad what did you all talk about was it about me it's yeah all, yeah yeah it's all about you like, <laughs> she, she, oh by the way debbie agrees now you're a bitch yeah if she knew me long enough she would have said it i mean of course yeah I'm a she total. gets she gets the two and a half hour tirade joe all right debbie well, a couple of things. One, I really, when, when you finish your book, you gotta, I gotta know, and we gotta, I want you to come back on the show. Yes. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I would love to. I would Please. love to really. Please. Yeah. And, absolutely. and in the interest of time, I do want to ask a few things and these are going to be very generalized, horrible questions that horrible people ask your interviewer, but who are some of the people you get you've been starstruck by that I've met or I haven't met? Okay, well, who I would get starstruck if I met uh Martin Scorsese or Robert De Niro, like you know, because my favorite movie of all time is Taxi Driver, yeah. So, um, they, they would be two, I would say, like, um, it would be. See, it's one thing to meet people who are like famous. Mm -hmm. uh, it's another thing to work with them. So I think like I wouldn't be so much nervous to speak with them only because of on Fangoria Radio, we did a lot, right? So you, yeah. you get accustomed to it. It's not like it's always easy. I was starstruck when Mel Brooks was on live oh. in the studio for two and a half hours. The show went as long as he wanted to go. Like there was no limit, you know, it was a three hour show, but I mean, if the man wanted to sit there for 10 hours, that's how long the show would have been. So as you can imagine. So, I mean, I think if I was to work with, with people that I actually should be working with only in the sense that who are working in some sort of method where I can challenge myself truly um, I think in, if, of somebody of that caliber, I think I would be nervous, but in a really good way, mm -hmm. like I'd be jacked up and I'd be like, oh my God, like, holy shit. Like, let's not fuck this up. You know, and I'm, I'm usually that way anyway, but I'm very often working with people that are just incredibly talented, but they're not schooled so much. So it's a different kind of experience. Whereas someone who's like throwing stuff at you that, that, you know, they come from like a really kind of trained background. I, I miss that. I haven't had that in a long time. Once in a while, it'll, I really haven't had that since I've like done maybe stage or something. Yeah. So 
I think that that would if that it's a weird way to answer your question. No, no, that that's you know. I completely agree with you because uh, people ask me how we do and get up on the stage and be a thousand or two thousand people in front and how do you do it? And I always say, why don't you start Chirac? And well, and I always say, well, actually, the people because I'm more like you, Mel Brooks, I probably would be. There's some directors and writers I would be, but uh, Karen Gillum, who was a fantastic actress and is in Doctor Who and Oculus, I'm, I just she's just another she was great so yeah. we talked about horror films afterwards and had nothing we're just so everybody else starstruck not so much for me i, I kind of get what you're saying it's kind of a job yeah. and you just these are people and i always yeah. tell people when they ask me what are celebrities like and i always say the same answer just like everybody else 90 percent are fantastic 10 percent are assholes right just like exactly Exactly true. Exactly true. And somebody that I had heard, you know, wasn't always super nice, William Friedkin. Yeah. When he was on, super nice. Yeah. Like super damn nice. Yeah. And I, I was like, you know what? I am never, never listening. And this is my, my issue with social media. I am never listening to people again. I will make my own mind up yeah, on absolutely. anything. And that's where social media just wants to jump on people. And I get so disgusted and I, and I so often want to get off, but you really can't when you have like books coming out and stuff. And I do want to keep in touch with certain people, but this other stuff like the cancel culture and all this bullshit, who's smart enough. You say something, somebody's got to like run up on you from behind and correct either, you know, it's like they squeeze all the fun out of it. Yeah. Like do, do, you know, say serious stuff, do important things, but also let some people or yourself have a little bit of fun too. Yeah. Like, you know, stop squeezing the damn fun out of everything. So. And let rant. somebody have an opinion that may be different than yours. Yes, thank you. I've got friends who believe very differently than me politically, and I don't, you know, block them or do all this stuff. I just let them be. We do. Too. They, yep, right. Well, I, I was dropping in my mail in ballot today, took a picture of me, and then I tagged my friends who are very, we're not overly conservative. Our friends are conservative. And I we tagged Chad in it going, here, I'm, I am now canceling out Craig's vote. <laughs> right <laughs> it's just it's just i'm not gonna hey we're gonna have to live with all these people after this election they're not going anywhere no we're all gonna have to no. live with one another no and i have a couple friends of mine like i literally will go oh like i'll roll my eyes i'll be like oh why 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 i hope you're deep down joking or something but i would never yeah in their case because i actually know them they're not I know them for years and years and i'm like and you think you know them, but then you got to remember, you got, if you're truly a friend, you have to allow people to have different opinions than you do. Yeah. And sometimes right? being an asshole, sometimes everyone's an asshole. Yeah. yeah, Joe. So Cabin Boy is a good movie. No, it's not. All right. This is an argument that we have all the time. So anyway, <laughs> I know you have to go really quick. What are any, is there anything coming out that we can plug or anything you've got going on that we'd like to talk about before you go? The short answer is I put all like the new stuff up on wrshawn.com. So yeah, that's the short answer because Videoscope coming out in just a couple of weeks, I have a really long interview with Max Brooks, 
uh that's he's amazing yeah i bet now you've you've moved from dad to son yeah i'm getting a family you did them both (laughs) and i did them in the right order yeah absolutely you did them in the right order (laughs) and uh you know it's true it's good it's amazing um uh it was funny oh my god but yeah true and um yeah so got uh, a podcast that's coming along um it's just myself i'm alone just talking about obscurities like really weird stuff that goes on like we're talking like the blue man that's yeah. that's what we're, th- we're talking about so it's very different it's not like a horror show it's it's horror-esque but it's a different sort of like you know alleyway in the world of horror um and yeah like you know very very excited to be getting the countess dracula award in transylvania i mean where else do you get that award that matters nowhere nowhere only in transylvania people so yeah really proud and working on the book and yeah i'm just upset i'm just upset that you couldn't go to transylvania to accept it in person that's the only thing fuck covid that you can't go to transylvania Fuck COVID. Fuck How COVID. amazing would that be? Seriously. Also, it's the Countess Dracula Award, and you're the only female to get it. What the yeah. hell? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Come yeah. on. Come on now. That's fuck like COVID. The- yeah. Fuck COVID. Like, come on. You're taking my moment, COVID. But, the, you know, I'm that, I could look at it that way, or I'm going to look at it like, fuck COVID. I'm still getting it virtually and they're going to mail the thing to me. So you can't take it away. That's right. And you, right. You didn't cancel the award completely. You just made it weird. Yeah. You just made the trip. You just missed out on a good trip. (laughs) So true. It's true. true. But Uh, But I'll go next year if it's all cleared up. I'll go next year just to say thanks because I really, I need to anyway, because come on. Exactly. We all need to, come on. I want to go. Right? Hey, hey, listen, right now, I don't know where you're located, but the next time when this bullshit's a little bit past, you come on down and Chad and I will take you to where the blue men are and we will be your armed escorts. (laughs) So you can discover this on your own. Oh, I got it. Chad, you're on board for that? Yeah, man, that's I'm more scared than she is. <laughs> I'm not. Let's do it. Let's do it. I've got a pickup truck. We'll fit right in. We're good. The blue man, come on, come on, guys. See, I'll, he was. I'll get. The- I'll get. I'll get the Conway Twitty albums, and we'll be gone. <laughs> Listen, guys, this was fate that I was on here because it's bringing us one step closer to the blue man. Yes. Right. This is where we need to be. This is where we need to be. So we're going to go ahead and edit. Uh, we're going to go ahead and stop. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm going to stop record. You've been an absolute treat. Debbie Roshan, please go to DebbieRoshan.com. Check out her new movies. I did. We didn't even talk about a lot of your movies. So sorry about that. But I think we've had a great conversation. Yeah, uh, I think we've had a brilliant conversation because maybe people have already heard that a lot. Yeah. Now they're right. something different.
Brrrr.